I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. If you're a longtime listener to the show, you already know I'm totally obsessed with foursigmatic.com. If you're a new listener, check this out. I'm going to explain why. All right. I've been taking medicinal mushrooms for a really long time. I'm a huge fan of the Chinese herbal system, of the Russian herbal system. Uh, I believe that there are plants on the planet that can not only prevent you from getting ill, but even help you get well. And one of my favorite products from Four Sigmatic is the Chaga Elixir. Why? Because it's a powerful antioxidant. And it's one of the most um, amazing things you can do for your immune system. It's actually called the king of mushrooms. It's like a force field in a cup, you could say. So this is really good during flu season or just when you need some immune support. But not only that, it actually tastes hella good. Unlike some other herbal products and elixirs that are good for you but don't really taste good, uh, this chaga extract is amazing. And for years, I was making chaga myself, like boiling the big chunks and things like that. And, And honestly, it's quite a pain in the ass to do the extraction yourself. And if you do the extraction, you're only going to get the water-soluble nutrients, not the fat-soluble nutrients like this full-spectrum Chaga Elixir from Four Sigmatic. In non-geek terms, that just means if you try to do it yourself, you're not going to get the badass stuff out of the Chaga that you really want. This is a giant tree mushroom, uh, not the easiest thing to work with. So I'd love for you to check out the Chaga Elixir. I'm not even kidding. I'm not BSing you when I say I take these products every day. I say that all the time, and I would not say it if it was not true. In fact, just this morning, I made a coffee with one packet of the Chaga and one packet of the Rishi. There you go, straight up um, as I recorded this. So I'm absolutely obsessed with their stuff. If you want to check out foursigmatic.com, do something great for your health and great for your taste buds, use this URL, foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke story. That's foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke story. If you use the code Luke story at checkout, you're going to save an additional 15% off your order. So it's not only great for you and great tasting, but it's a really good deal. foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke story. Welcome to the wacky wild, and sometimes enlightening world of the Lifestylist podcast. Come on in, kick your shoes off, relax, have a seat. I'll grab you something to drink while we talk to my doctor and one of the most brilliant experts on hyperbaric oxygen therapy, Dr. Scott Scher. Here's what we talk about in this conversation. Why hyperoxygenating an area of the human body can prevent it from dying. Why both allopathic medicine and crazy hippies like me agree that HBOT is awesome. How biohackers can optimize the time they spend inside a hyperbaric chamber, combining hyperbaric oxygen therapy with sensory deprivation chambers. Why people in hyperbaric chambers are better at multitasking. How hyperbaric treatment can improve erectile dysfunction. Why reversing or mitigating the effects of aging isn't actually as radical as you might think. Then we cover Dr. Scott's cutting-edge work with past guest and one of my favorites, Dr. Ted Achacoso. And finally, the powerful yet safe nootropic we both took before starting this conversation. Scott is one of the foremost experts on oxygen therapy. He's a great guy, brilliant doctor, 
and I thoroughly enjoyed taking an in-depth look at this very effective, very safe therapy that I've been experimenting with for many years. So Dr. Scott and I sat down at the Health Optimization Summit in London and really covered not only this topic, but also Scott's views on allopathic versus integrative or functional medicine. He's someone that didn't go to a doctor his entire life and then decided to go to med school. So his story is fascinating and his level of expertise on this particular topic is unparalleled. So it brings me great pleasure to bring you this conversation with Dr. Scott Scher. Before we jump into that, I'd like to make a couple brief announcements. This weekend, I'll be appearing at Mercado Sagrado, November 16th and 17th in Malibu, California. Fantastic event where uh, on Sunday, I'll be presenting with Bulletproof Upgrade Labs, doing a little biohacking lounge there. I will also have my biocharger there for people to try. People have been really curious about that one. Uh, My friend Zen will be bringing his amazing coffee, at least on Saturday, Zen Bunny Coffee. And uh, also my friends from BrainTap will be there on Saturday as well. So you can come get your brain dialed in. This Friday, we've got a Q&A show with questions called from the Lifestylist Podcast Facebook group. It's a private group. You can request to join, ask questions in there. And if they don't get answered in the group, they might just get answered on a future solo show. Then on Sunday, we've got a bonus show, my guest appearance on Wellness Mama with Katie Wells. Great podcast where we talk about all things strange like circumcision, addiction recovery, and many other far out topics. So we've got three shows this week, then Tuesday back to our regular programming. That one's a very special episode called Autism Causes and Cures No One's Talking About with Ninka Bernadette Maritzen. That's a topic I've been wanting to cover for a while, uh, but it's a touchy one. So I wanted to find someone who really had an interesting point of view and Ninka definitely does. All right, now let's take a deep dive into all things oxygen with Dr. Scott Scher. Dr. Scott Scher. Hi, Luke. What's happening? We're here. We're here, dude. We're in London. Somehow. Exciting. 10 hours later. So I'm first off, I just want to give my condolences that you got off a plane today and are now forced to sit here. Well, you're not forced, but willing to sit here and have a conversation. My privilege to be here, Luke. Dude, if I had just flown from the... You flew out of San Francisco. I did, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, If I had just gotten off that flight, there's nothing in the world that you could do to get me to get on a microphone because I would be completely brain dead. So Uh, We have tricks. Lots of tricks. We're going to talk about some of those tricks. (laughs) Even if you're sitting between two people on a plane, one very large man with a very large elbow. But, oh my God, yes. were you really? Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. That's all good. Yeah, I'm got to flow with it. I'm a real flight diva. I struggle with airplanes. So I've even thought about, and I'm, I'm not rolling like this yet, but to be <laughs> that guy that buys the seat next to him. Nice. Just, like not have someone next to me. You know? Pretend like you're 300 pounds. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And say, I'm really, really big. And you just end up being Luke when like, you get there. But. Yeah, like I, I could say, so I don't seem like such a selfish prick. Um, like well, I bought it for my kid and they couldn't make it, you know, because they- Maybe you can get an animal, like a service animal. And yeah, you can bring I, the service horse or like yeah, the service yeah. I have bird. A, you know what? I have an emotional support animal. I even got a letter from a psychiatrist to say so. What um, kind of animal? A dog. Okay. Yeah, my dog Cookie. She's my co-host. Oh, sweet. Yeah, she often sits here. Oh, I miss her, man. No, she often sits in the recording. She always sits in the guest's lap. 
And if they want that, and nice. um, and then I know that guest is like not an evil person. <laughs> Cookie's like the barometer. Cookie's of, okay. Cookie's of okay vibes. with the guest. Yeah. yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah. dogs so, are pretty good barometers for those kinds. Of so things. we're going to talk about your medical practice. You're sure. you're a real MD. You're not some kook, uh, but you're definitely <laughs> into very progressive health practices sure. as an MD, which is why I sought sure, you yeah. out to work with you. You were recommended by my friend Tim here at Health Optimization Summit. Uh, so we're definitely going to get into the practice, but before we do that, I want to like really cover the hyperbaric oxygen yeah. world because I know that you spent a lot of time in that space Still and are one, of the, one yes. of the most knowledgeable dudes. Yeah. Uh, but before. Before we dive in, I want a little bit of a backstory. So your dad is still a practicing chiropractor, as I understand it. And you learned about holistic medicine, alternative medicine, functional medicine, all of that pretty early on. Yeah. I mean, there was really no term for it at the time. It was just alternative medicine. Outside of the conventional medicine was just this big bucket of everything. And my dad had his own chiropractic practice. He's had it for 40 years, I guess now. Wow. And on Long Island, where I grew up in New York. And I always saw how he looked at health. He didn't look at it as sort of an interventionalist kind of health. It was more cultivating health in his patients by giving them the tools and the practices and doing some subluxation, some chiropractic manipulation. But that was sort of not as important as the other stuff that he was asking people to do, you know, change their diet. I remember seeing kids when I was young with asthma or with allergies and go off dairy in the 1980s and they were getting better. Their asthma would go away their allergies would go away. So I saw like dietary interventions. I saw behavioral interventions without any need for any conventional Western therapies at all. And in fact, I don't even think I saw a conventional doctor until I went to college. And so maybe once before that, I had strep throat when I was at camp, you know, but other than that, I was really outside of the box. And then I decided to go to medical school after all that thinking, actually having a conversation with my dad, he's like, you know, I'm pretty limited in what I can do. I'm a chiropractor. My license is limited. If you become a medical doctor, you can do anything you want. You can do chiropractic, you can do medicine, you can figure it out. So I took his advice and he's my first mentor, my, you know, the guy, my dad that I looked up to, I still do. And I went to medical school and medical school was challenging in a lot of ways because it was very different from how I grew up. But I always kind of knew in the back, I was going to do it and then I was going to figure it out. You know, I was going to figure out what I wanted to do. It wasn't going to be conventional medicine entirely. It might have some conventional medicine pieces to it, but it wasn't going to be just a conventional medicine practice. Even though I got tantalized along the way, be a dermatologist, make $700,000 a year, be a radiologist, sit in front of a computer in a dark room, looking at skeletons, make $700,000 a year. I mean, that Damn, all sounds- they, they make that much money? They make a lot of money. Wow. Orth- orthopedic surgeons, you know, hammer and nails, screws, right. Right. saws. I mean, I thought about all that, but then I I always had to go back and actually I tell medical students this now. I say, you know, if you had all the money in the world, you know, what kind of doctor would you want to be? You didn't go to medical school to just become a doctor because you were going to make more money being that doctor. At least I don't think most of us went to medical school for that reason. I mean, especially now because the amount of loans we have to take out to be medical students and actually get through medical school. I mean, to go to a good medical school, yeah. if, if, if you get you know, if you're approved for kind of a full ride loan or whatever it's called, I know full ride means free, but say you have to finance the whole thing, like at a good reputable school, what are you looking at? About 200K. Damn. Yeah. And then we had- That's a lot of money for a young person. I know this is a whole, you know, kind of scandal in the States now with with this thing. I didn't go to college, so I don't know about any of that. Yeah. yeah. But I I look at that and I'm like, Jesus. I mean, when I was 20, I would have been- feeling very anxious if I was a thousand dollars in debt. Right. You know right. I mean? And it's you like, can see how are you going to climb yeah. your way out of that? Yeah. You can see why some of these, some medical students were just saying, I want to get a job that can get me out of debt quicker versus following their passion, 
potentially, and maybe not make as much money when they first come out of school. But I had friends with $300,000, $400,000 worth of debt coming out of medical school because they also had undergrad loans as well. I mean, I have a good friend in LA. He's paying like $4,000 a month or so just on medical school and undergrad loans together. Just getting out of school, just getting out of medical school. So what are you supposed to do? Like follow your passion, become like this crazy alternative doctor doing all these cool things that are entrepreneurial, but you don't have, you have to to make the money so you can pay it every month. Right. So it is a challenge. It is a challenge. And so, but for me, I I even, even though that's the case, there's still a lot of ways to make being a doctor part of the plan, even if you do it conventional some of the time and then do alternative the other parts of the time as well. And that's actually what I did. I, when I finished medical school, I decided I wanted to do conventional medicine to some degree so I could pay my loans. And I started having a family and, you know, my family was growing and I needed to make sure I could do all that. (laughs) But at the same time, I wanted to explore a lot of the other options outside of the conventional world. And, And the one I found out actually that I really liked in medical school was hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And I found it in a trauma center of all places because the trauma center at the University of Maryland where I trained had a really big hyperbaric chamber in the basement. And they were treating patients that had like really severe injuries, carbon monoxide poisoning, necrotizing fasciitis, which is like a flesh-eating bacteria. So flesh-eating bacteria, like Damn. it's nasty stuff. But I saw people go into the chamber like on ventilators if they had carbon monoxide poisoning and walk out of the chamber on the other end of it. So like miraculous recoveries. Wow. People that were just basically comatose, like had to be right. using ventilators to breathe for them. When someone was that ill, yeah. what, what would have been their treatment time for an acute condition like that? How well, long would they be in there? It depends. But I mean, for carbon monoxide poisoning, it's usually about 90 minutes okay. and it's uh, at pretty deep pressures. And then it's not just one treatment. It's usually one treatment for 90 minutes. And then later on in the day, they might have another one or sometimes they'll even extend it even further than the 90 minutes, sometimes more 120. It depends on how severe the carbon monoxide poisoning is. And they'll check levels to see where their carbon monoxide levels are. Their carboxyhemoglobin levels is what it's called. So um, and then the other, depending on the indication, like necrotizing fasciitis, that's another 120-minute session, sometimes twice a day as well. So really intensive treatment in these big chambers called multi-place chambers where you have multiple people all sitting in the same chamber together getting treated. And then you can have an attendant in there helping with the patient so that if you have IVs and ventilators and drips and you can have a nurse and you can have all that kind of stuff going on at the same right, time. Right. But I just got intrigued by the technology because it was really, really simple. And I saw people walk out of chambers that looked like they were dead when they went in. Or for neck fasc, necrotizing fasciitis, like flesh-eating bacteria, people have to get amputated limbs. It's nasty. Oh my and God. so I saw people get live, limbs salvaged that wouldn't have been able to get salvaged otherwise. So I asked the technicians and the doctors, I'm like, what are you guys doing in there? And very simply, it was just two things, oxygen and pressure. And that's all it was in the chamber. And then they were walking out. So that really intrigued me because oxygen, you know, we kind of need it. It's important (laughs) or we die. And pressure is really an intriguing stimulus that's not so much used in nature right now, but it has been used in the past in various ways, we think, in, in some capacities we can talk about. But in the sense that pressure has this really interesting way of changing our physiology and getting more oxygen in our system. Because if you breathe a mask of oxygen, that's just like a face mask of oxygen. So you have like a hundred percent face mask or even two liters nasal cannula like you did in the chamber when you were doing your Instagram or Facebook or whatever, that's going to get you more oxygen in the circulation, but only a certain amount because oxygen is usually carried by red blood cells. That's our oxygen carrying capacity is how many red blood cells we have in our system. The number of red blood cells predicates or basically 
gives us a certain amount of oxygen carrying capacity. And the only way you can increase that typically is by increasing your red blood cell mass, by increasing the number of red blood cells in circulation. So you have guys like Lance Armstrong and other cyclists that used epigen. You may have heard of epigen or doping. No, I haven't. So oh, doping, heard of doping. Okay, yeah, I know the term. Blood doping is either taking a drug called epigen or autotransfusing. So you take your own blood away. So you take it off. You, you get it, you know, you phlebotomize yourself and you give it back to yourself right before a race. Um, or epigen actually increases your number of red blood cells in circulation. Wow. And so that increases your oxygen carrying capacity. And then you have more capacity when you're doing endurance races or doing sports where you, know, you need to have Oh, more that's capacity. what that whole beef was. Um, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So that's illegal. Right? Oh, okay. okay. But there's a legal way to do it. That's by altitude training. So if you go to altitude, you can increase the number of red blood cells in circulation. But there's a different way to get oxygen in circulation, and that is actually using a chamber. The chamber actually saturates in your plasma, the liquid of your blood. So the liquid of your blood has very little oxygen in it at sea level, and you can't get a lot of oxygen in there unless you're under pressure. So it's the pressure that combines with the oxygen that drives it into the liquid of your blood, the plasma. And the plasma wow. has this really unending capacity for oxygen. Liquid O2, not bound by red blood cells, can then be delivered to wherever it needs to go. Wow. Long answer That's, to a short No, question. I love, I'm like, keep going. This is amazing. Yeah. This is yeah. so interesting. Yeah. And it reminds me, the, I don't know, the first time I started doing the chambers was maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. Long time ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Definitely over 10 years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was the little vinyl blow-up ones. Soft chambers, you know? yeah. yeah. Yeah, soft chambers. And yeah. from that moment until, I think it was yesterday when I learned otherwise in this new kind of chamber. Yeah. I thought the reason that you went in the pressure chamber was like the oxygen gets in your skin. I thought it's like, it's pushing it just all over your body. Oh, I got some oxygen in my foot. There went some in my ear. It's a reasonable thought. You know, yeah. and so I, I had no idea that it was- It's all inspired. Yeah, all yeah. that you need to do is just breathe it in. Yeah. And then the pressure is like you said, it's getting it into the plasma. And right. so- once right. we get in the plasma, you said, where does it need to go? So is it like, is it going into your muscles and can it Everywhere. get in tendons and places where oxygen doesn't want to go to? Yes, absolutely. So it's going to increase oxygen delivery, even in tissues that have low oxygen capacity at the moment. And so that's really important because if you've had an acute injury, for example, you have swelling, you have inflammation, hyperbaric therapy is going to allow more blood and more oxygen to get to that tissue to start helping it heal. So you may have heard this statement before. I mean, we talk about it in medical school and, and in medicine. If you've had a stroke, the faster you get to the hospital, the quicker you can get medicine, the, the more brain you're going to save. Mm -hmm. Same thing with a heart attack. The faster you can get a stent if you've had a heart attack. Time is brain, time is heart. It's the same thing about getting into a chamber too. The faster you can get into a hyperbaric chamber when you have an acute event, the more tissue downstream from a damaged tissue is going to stay oxygenated because we can temporize by getting you oxygenated and all the tissue downstream from a blockage or an injury is not going to die. Important if it's your brain or your heart or really anywhere, right? So it's used in stroke, traumatic brain injury, heart attacks, uh, spinal cord injuries, uh, what else? Many other types of acute traumas, acute limb amputations and others that where you can really hyper-oxygenate an area to prevent it from dying. And so it's because we get so much more oxygen in circulation that it diffuses outside of the blood vessels to a significantly more degree as, uh, as compared to just being at sea level, for example. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a trippy thing about this technology is that it's embraced by allopathic medicine. Yeah, that's and, why I like and it. And used in the sickness model, but also used by 
crazy hippies. Like when I started doing it, it was this, I went to this lady's apartment in West Hollywood, some older Russian woman that yeah. like had a chamber and I pay her a couple hundred bucks and lay in there for a couple hours and fall asleep. So it's, it's interesting that this one crosses over because many of the things don't, right. I don't see a lot of, I mean, maybe now, but when I started discovering, you know, Rife machines and PMF and some of these things, right. they Still were not there yet. Yeah. Completely like poo pooed yeah. by the traditional yeah. and that's the the medical reasons, yeah. system, you know, yeah. but oxygen's interesting in a way. It's sort of a crossover. It is. And that's why I got into it actually, because I found that there was conventional reasons to use it, but there's also a ton of unconventional investigational other ways to use it in a much more integrative way. And that's kind of what resonated with me was this integrative mindset because of how I grew up. How can you integrate this oxygen therapy into a more holistic plan for my patients? not just putting them in a chamber because even though that may help, it may not be all that they need, especially if they have a chronic condition or they're looking for optimal performance or you know, reverse aging, anti-aging kinds of, kinds of things. You don't just get into a chamber. That's not just going to be it for you. You need right, to have more of an right. integrative approach. And so my practice developed where I was seeing the conventional indications and I was seeing some of the investigational indications. And then I started creating an integrative practice around that, where I would add in, you know, targeted supplements and laboratory data and other technologies, pulse electromagnetic field technology, low-level lights, cryo, sauna, breathing, you name it. And then that's how I got involved in the Bulletproof, the optimal performance world, and got involved from there into people like yourself and others like Dr. Ted, who we'll talk about, and, and seeing that there was a different focus. There was the health focus that I really resonated with more than even the, the condition or illness focus. But I did see a place for hyperbaric therapy kind of in all of that, depending on what was needed. Yeah, that's cool. That yeah. actually seems like a, like a fateful fit for you based Super, on that. Yeah. You know, the fact that you came from that background, yeah. but still went to you know, real med school to become a real MD. Uh, so that, that's really interesting. I want to go back to, I, I love when things connect up like that. Yeah, and there's yeah, synchronicity cool. yeah. in life. Yeah. Uh, but I want to ask something just random about uh, the altitude. So you mentioned athletes yeah. will use high altitude uh -huh. training, right? Uh, do you happen to know, and this is just a random question, like I said, why I find that the nootropic paracetam helps me to like instantaneously uh, adapt to a high altitude environment? Would that make any sense to you? Yeah. You know, I'm not sure. I'm okay. not sure why that would be. I mean, in general, if you're increasing blood flow, um, and then potentially if it's changing what's called the oxygen dissociation curve, which I'm not familiar with if paracetams do that or the, or the racetam family, because the idea when you go to altitude is that you have to dump off more oxygen from your red blood cells to make sure that you can still um, maintain your physiologic functions. What happens when you go to altitude is that you have less oxygen around, so it sticks on your red blood cells more strongly instead of being dumped into tissue. Oh, so it's and like so, self-preserving? It's self-preserving. Oh, right? that's interesting. So it's, God, you know, that's it's, crazy. it's going to preserve your heart. It's going to preserve your lungs and your brain. Right. But the rest of your body, you know, screw it. <laughs> you know, so, right. so that's why you get, you know, that's why you get altitude sickness where you get headaches and you get nausea because your belly is not getting enough oxygen. And, and so, I mean, and altitude sickness is an inter interesting thing all entirely of itself. I um, mean, who gets it, who doesn't get it. And, and I remember when I was in, in college, I went up Mount Whitney in, in California and I had to stop because I had altitude sickness. I was in really good shape. I went up there with guys that smoked pot every day, never exercised, and they got up no problem. Like maybe it was the marijuana. I have no idea, you know? <laughs> so like, I don't know how that works, but I do know from a physiologic perspective that it's depending on how much oxygen is getting dumped off your red blood cells. Right. And so, you know, hyperbaric therapy obviously, obviously is the opposite, 
But there's some interesting parallels, actually, because what we can do in the chamber is when we pressurize a tank and pressurize you in the tank with the oxygen that you're breathing, what we can do is every so often when you're breathing 100% oxygen in the chamber, we can take you off that 100% oxygen and have you just, just breathe the air in the chamber. And when you do that, it's back to sea level O2, which is 21% oxygen. And that's a relative hypoxia. You go from 100% to oh, 21%. Right, right. So as a result of that, you're actually stimulating a lot of the same things that you would stimulate if you were under hypoxic conditions. But actually a lot safer for people that have any ongoing inflammation, oxidative stress, um, that already have chronic autoimmune problems. So I, because I hesitate for some of these altitude chambers for people that have a lot of chronic stuff going on because it actually can make them feel a lot worse especially if they have chronic infections. Because infections, many of them, like Lyme, for example, Staph aureus, they do, not, they, they do well in low oxygen environments. They don't do well in high oxygen environments. So one of the ways we use the chamber is to treat infections, for example. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And including Lyme? Yeah. yeah. And what about, what about systemic fungal infections and mm-hmm. yeah. bacterial SIBO and all this kind of stuff? Yeah, is absolutely. it effective for that? Yeah, wow. because it's, it's, a, it's an oxygen stress. It's oxygen coming in the body. Mm-hmm. And so anything that does not like oxygen, including some of these bacteria, fungus, they're not going to like that high oxygen environment and they're going to get killed off. And so what I would also say though, especially for something like Lyme, hyperbaric therapy by itself is not a treatment by itself. It's more an integrative treatment where if you're getting Lyme-directed therapy, hyperbaric therapy will also help you kill more bugs and help with the detoxification. Because the other piece of the hyperbaric puzzle, which is new and exciting, is that we didn't really understand as much about the pressure. We knew that the oxygen was working, flooding the body with oxygen and then having a lot of different effects. But the pressure itself, now if you can imagine, just to kind of take it a step back, if you're under 33 feet of seawater, like that water above you is really heavy, right? That's the pressure you feel. And so we're simulating that pressure in a chamber to a certain degree, depending on the indication. But that that's also doing, we think. Are you familiar with Gerald Pollard's work? Pollard's yeah, work? yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm hoping to get him for an interview this weekend, yeah. Okay, awesome. He's fantastic. I was just prepping it this morning. I'm obsessed with water. It's, it's my element. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar. Big that's fan. cool. Yeah. Mine's fire. No, I'm just kidding. It can't be in a, in a hyperbaric <laughs> chamber. It can't be fire. Um, so um, what Gerald Pollack was talking about is, is this easy water, the idea that you have this polarized water around blood vessels. What we think happens in the chamber is that under pressure, you're actually creating more easy water around blood vessels and oh, around wow. lymphatic vessels too. So helping with blood flow and helping with lymphatic flow as well. So creating more easy water for more flow as well. So that's super interesting. And so we're working on new, I'm working on new protocols. Nobody else is doing this. <laughs> I'm working on new protocols where we're doing variable pressures inside the chamber to help with detoxification, lymphatic flow, and helping create more of that easy water and more of that sort of vortex-like flow as a result. So Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, super fun. Yeah. And so uh, in San Francisco, your clinic, do you guys have oxygen there or do you send people out somewhere nearby? Or So I have a couple different chambers uh, that I work with. I have oh, okay. a, a hyperbaric facility that does hard chambers in San Francisco and also in the San Jose, Los Altos area. But I consult with people all over the world, really, because I have clinics that I'm affiliated with all over the world. That's how I met Tim, talking about his clinic that he had. Oh, okay, yeah. Tim, Tim, the CEO of Health Optimization Summit. It was uh, actually very, very helpful uh, that you guys are in in the oxygen scene because he knew right away when we got to London, he's like, okay, I got the hyperbaric spot for you. And then you told me the one in Beverly Hills that I went to the other day. Yeah, yeah. I know all those guys. And so yeah. what I like, I'm not, I'm, what I'd say I'm, I'm agnostic in the sense that 
there's three different types of chambers. There's the, the first ones we talked about, which are the multi-place chambers. They're the more medical chambers, academic facilities, diving locations. They treat the bends to decompression illness. That's how they started actually as treatment for the bends. You don't really find them outside of those locations. Then you have monoplace chambers, which are single occupancy hard chambers that go to about 66 feet or I think it's 20 meters <laughs> of seawater. I'm trying to remember my metrics because we're right. in England here. Right. Um, and then you have the soft chambers that go to 1.3 atmospheres, which is 23 feet of seawater. So each of the chambers is a little bit different. And the soft chambers are really good for a lot of the biohacker optimal performance people, especially for the neurohacker kinds of neurocognitive indications. And so that's what I use them most for. The hard chambers, the monoplace chambers are the most versatile because you can do systemic treatments that can get to the full body that we have good data to support. So depending on the indication and the reason, I like to kind of you know, take people where they need to go or have the recommendation be most appropriate. But I'll even say, if you only have a soft chamber, then get into a chamber, especially if you have an acute injury that we need to heal faster because that's what these chambers do. They heal. I mean, in general, like if you ask me like in one word, it's just they heal, they heal the body faster. And so it's just a matter of what's going on and the process and the protocol that's needed, but it's going to heal you faster. So, and so best to use the right chamber if you can, but in general, as long as you don't, there's a couple of things I don't want to put in a soft chamber. If you have like open wounds or autoimmune problems, or if you have like active infections, they're probably not the best for you. Um, but other things like exercise recovery, jet lag, um, endurance, um, injury recovery, neurocognitive optimization, cognitive enhancement, all those can be done in the soft chamber. So, And why do you think they make you sleepy? When I get in the soft chambers, mm-hmm. I usually mm-hmm. do, I guess, 90 minutes, a couple hours, and I pass out and I go into the deepest, deepest... Like, Do you get psychedelic? I do sometimes. A, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 but it kind of sucks because... I go into the, like full deep sleep. It feel I have it like tracked mm. to see if I'm in actual deep sleep, but it feels like a very delta, like bye bye. And then when I come out of it, I'm so tired because it's like I slept too long, right, for a right. nap. You know that thing when you yeah, kind of yeah, go too deep and then you're really groggy. So I don't like the after effect, but it, I find it really relaxing. Yeah, but there's that, ways around that. That was only yeah. in the soft yeah. ones though, because that didn't. The other day I. I watched a Bill Burr uh, Netflix while I was in the clear acrylic one or whatever in Beverly Hills. And uh, I was actually very alert and awake. And then even yesterday, I did two in this crazy chamber at, what's it called? LMS. Uh, LMS. Wellness, yeah. Yeah, LMS Wellness. Amazing place here in uh, London and Chelsea. And in theirs, they have a big room and then like three or four people can go kick it in there. And you have the mask uh, and it's pressurized. And the first one I did, I, I just kind of, I didn't have anything to talk about because I was just tired of talking yesterday. <laughs> Believe it or not, it happens every once in a while. Um, and I meditated and I kind of fell asleep in my mm-hmm. chair. Mm-hmm. And then we did a second one and I was wide awake and we're all chatting and stuff like that. So Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned it. We've done some work with HRV, heart rate variability oh, inside cool. the chamber. Yeah, and so depending on what the indication is, if you just want to boost, you don't want to be in the chamber for more than 30 minutes, actually. Ah. The 30-minute window is where you go from more sympathetic to more parasympathetic. So your heart rate variability is actually going to get worse for the first 30 minutes. But then after that, it's going to get better because you go into parasympathetic. That's why you get tired. Really? Right? Yeah, it's interesting, right? So, yeah. But it depends on the pressure. So at the more superficial pressures, that's what we've been actually noticing. So HRV is a pretty good indicator for sympathetic, parasympathetic, right? Yeah. So, um, so for example, for cognitive boost, 
kinds of things, um, we look at shorter protocols, like 30 minutes, 45 minutes of pressure, because we don't want to get you too parasympathetic. Otherwise, you get too tired. So, um, But if you're looking for more recovery, then you want to get over the, parasympathetic, over the sympathetic portion and then get into your parasympathetic as well. Right. I find meditating in the chamber like transformative, <laughs> honestly. And I use it as a sensory deprivation chamber for my patients as well. So, you know, no music, or maybe music, but no TV. Yeah. I'll even if it's the acrylic, I'll put something over it so they can't right. see out. Right. So it'd be like it's <laughs> right. like a float tank without the water. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've even had this crazy idea of like combining a float tank with a hyperbaric environment, for example, to like see if you could like sort of do it even with like the water. Wow. Know, it's an interesting wow. idea. Interesting. But, um anybody, if you want to, we can develop it, it'll be fun. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> but the idea really is you can really create an environment that's healing. And so other things, if people want to do, if they've had an injury, for example, I'll have them do various things to help try to recover from that injury. Like if they've had a stroke and they can't use their left hand, I'll make them look at their hand and try to do that exercise when they're in the chamber. Interesting studies showing that when you're in the chamber and you're hyperoxygenated, your multitasking performance gets better. Wow. You are, because you are, a lot of our brain capacity is relegated to what our oxygen carrying capacity is. So we have more oxygen in there, we can do more, we can think better, we can think faster. And so it also creates the ability to have more neuroplasticity. So that's what's happening in our patients that have had strokes or traumatic brain injuries. We're creating neuroplasticity. So I'll have patients in there do exercises, whether it be fingers just like this, tapping or finger to nose or whatever. Other things, depending on the type of chamber, they may not be able to bring things in with them, but some of them they can. But then with the biohacker people, I'll have them do other crazy things in the soft chambers, bring in neurofeedback devices, bring in lights, you know, do other types of breathing, no holding your breath, um, but <laughs> other types of breathing and, right, and right. some other things. But I mean, depending on the person, we can get all That's crazy. Interesting. You can take other supplements, things that help with right. vasodilation, for example, like niacin or do cryotherapy beforehand. And that, you know, you have that vasoconstriction that happens because right. your body thinks you're dying in, in a cryo chamber. But then when you get out of it, you have this massive vasodilation that vasodilation uh, helps with oxygenation in the same sense. If you get into the chamber right afterwards. Whoa. Yeah. Side note, I think you might've just solved another one of my, you didn't solve the press TAM altitude one. I'll give you that. It's a random question. It's a random but question. You just solved another one of my inquiries that totally doesn't mean anything, but I've always wondered why. I used to work out and then I would do my ice bath. Mm -hmm. And then I was listening to Dr. Rhonda Patrick and she yeah, found some study that was like, no, you don't want to do that because if you're trying to build muscle, if that's your goal, right. because you kill the inflammation that grows the muscle. And right. I was like, I'm not tr trying to become He-Man or anything, but you know, I, I wouldn't be mad at having a muscle or two. <laughs> so I stopped doing it that way. And then I started doing it backwards. And I thought logic would dictate like, oh, you're supposed to warm up. Like you don't want to get cold and then lift. And anyway, I ignored that and started doing that. And now I like hate working out unless I've done an ice bath. So yeah. I'll do an ice bath. Then I do my vibe plate and like do a little joint mobility. Yeah, so moving. I'm not yeah. too, too yeah, stiff. Makes sense. Yeah. I'm way stronger I could do way more reps. Right. I got my little X3 bar, get yeah, up, you I know? know. Yeah. And I, I crush if I do it after the ice bath. If I'm really hot and, um, you know, I've been like in front of the red light and whatever, and it's just hot in LA, like I'm a lot more weak sauce. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely true. Yeah, because now you've kind of gotten the best of both worlds. You're not hot, but you have this dilation 
of all your blood vessels. So you're getting oxygen into areas that wouldn't have gotten it as easily That's as a result. So, cool. so and then we'll do that also. We'll put somebody in a hyperbaric chamber, then immediately have them do a workout afterwards because they're hyperoxygenated. Oh wow. So I talked about oxygen carrying capacity earlier. Yeah. That oxygen carrying capacity in the plasma lasts for about 45 minutes after you get out of the chamber. Oh, so damn. you can use that if you're doing an endurance race, hypothetically. Right. Um, but that's kind of hard to do mechanically, like be in a chamber, then immediately get on your bike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, ideally you could do it. You'd um, have to have a mobile unit, like come you, to the, you know, the start line. We've or talked whatever. about this with with cycle races and oh, things. Like, wow. Can you have, but then like you're also like warming up and then you're in a, I don't know how you could get into a chamber right before, but right. Or if it was like a walk-in chamber, maybe, but I mean that would be a little bit harder to pull off. Another invention. I don't know. But um, but anyway, so what we'll do is even for rehab, I'll have people get out of the chamber and then immediately do their rehab afterwards. If even better actually is if they have nasal cannula on after they get out of the chamber and then maintain that nasal cannula while they're doing their, their, their rehab or whatever. There was an interesting study done on patients with traumatic brain injury and they just did three treatments. Three treatments. Um, and it was these severely traumatic brain injury um, kids and adults, and they were on ventilators. They were um, they were uh, sedated. They were comatose. They only got three treatments over three days, and their mortality rate was half. And so, only three treatments really did significantly improve their <laughs> it did significantly improve their morbidity and mortality. And so, but what they did after they were in the chamber is that they put them on 100 percent oxygen for three hours afterwards. Because what they found was when they did that, the brain was utilizing that oxygen and the the post-treatment period for 24 hours, even after wow. they were out of the chamber. So I try to modulate that as much as I can. So if, if I can, I'll have people with their nasal cannulas come out of the chamber then do their rehab or do their exercises because they're going to have that increased oxygen carrying capacity. It's going to help their brain. It's going to help their muscles. It's going to help them gain strength, et cetera. So, yeah. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. You know, it's really embarrassing. It's really embarrassing when you don't get enough sleep and then you can't remember anybody's name and you forget why you walked in a room or you run a red light and get a ticket or you can't focus on a paper that you're supposed to deliver or a project that you're working on. That's embarrassing. You know what's even more embarrassing? Realizing that the reason your sleep sucks is because you're being exposed to blue light at night and then having to wear really ugly lame glasses out to protect your melatonin. I'm talking about the whole phenomenon of blocking blue light. You guys have probably heard of it if you listen to this show and other shows about health. It's crucial to preserve your melatonin and ultimately preserve your sleep and your health by blocking all blue light after dark. Pretend like you're a caveman or cavewoman, as the case may be, and all you can see at night is the color of fire, which is kind of red and amber, right? Well, we can't make the world change, but we can change what covers our eyes and that's why i love my raw optics blue blocking glasses you can check them out at rawoptics.com they have glasses that not only block all the gnarly blue light at night but also some that you wear in the daytime when you're working on a computer or just underneath some really heinous fluorescent or led lights at your job or wherever you happen to be hanging out where there's super crap junk lighting so go to rawoptics.com that's spelled r-a rawoptics.com Save 10% with the code LIFESTYLIST. That's rawoptics.com. I learned over 20 years ago how important it is to have a symbiotic relationship between all the bacteria in your gut. And then what your gut is jacked up 
from taking antibiotics, eating GMOs, pesticides, etc., you get something called dysbiosis or leaky gut. That's when you have an imbalance of all the bacteria. So a lot of us are hearing about fermented foods and probiotics now, right? Well, I was taking probiotics years ago. And to be honest, out of all the ones I've taken, most of them sucked and didn't really help at all. And I think I was probably just eating sand or something. Uh, Enter the probiotic that I'm on now called Just Thrive, which is a spore-based probiotic, which means it hatches inside you. Sounds weird, I know, but that's what you want. You want bacteria that's alive when it gets into you. So imagine having a probiotic that actually works. It's like winning the health lottery. And I'd love for you to check out my friends over at Just Thrive by going to justthrivehealth.com and enter the code LOOP15 to save 15% off. That's justthrivehealth.com, the world's best, most effective probiotic. It's badass. Check it out. And now back to the interview. I'm going to go into the other thing I wanted to ask you about, which is ozone in a second. Okay, sure. Because the, the relationship between the two totally confused me. It's really yeah. trippy. Do you think if I get out of the ice bath, because I bought a, like a medical grade ozone generator okay. at home that I'm using. It's another story. But anyway. you know, Using it blood had, or inhaled uh, rectally? Um, up, the, up the... Yeah. And, um, and through the ears. Mm-hmm. And so you have an ox, you know, a medical grade oxygen canister. Yeah. And the other day I was like, oh shit, I have oxygen. So I just got a cannula and I just sat there and inhaled oxygen for a while. Yeah. Is that doing, is that like, I tested with a, um, a, uh, uh, a pulse, ox? pulse, pulse, pulse oximeter, oximeter yeah. and I'm, I was already at 97 or something. Then it brought up to 99. So I was like, well, that didn't do much. Do you think if I sat on that for 10 minutes after the ice bath then worked out, I would be any more oxygen saturated or am I just getting what I would get from it a few deep breaths. No, it certainly wouldn't hurt. Um, and I don't know it would increase you that much because right. like you were saying, the pulse ox is a very bad indicator, especially in a hyperbaric chamber, because like you said, your those red blood cells that are going through your lungs and getting oxygenated are already 97% saturated with oxygen when they're going through. So there's not right. a whole lot much more on the red blood cells you can saturate. Right. But what we can do in the chamber and saturate the plasma, the liquid. Right. But if there are a couple extra sites available, you can put yourself on the nasal cannula and increase from 97 to 100%. And you get a little bit, depending on the flow rates, you can get a little bit in the plasma too. And so it certainly wouldn't hurt. It certainly wouldn't hurt. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm going to try it out. I just thought, eh, I'm not going to waste I my time. I haven't tried it doesn't that before, do anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, before I move into ozone, there was just a couple other things I thought were interesting about the uh, hyperbaric treatments. And yeah. one of the indications is erectile dysfunction. Uh-huh. I'm asking for a friend of mine, this Just guy. Yeah. <laughs> no. yeah. But you know, I thought, how the hell does that work? You know? Ah, so that's a good point. So it was a listener. They wrote in with that question. Oh, the listener. Yeah. I just, no, but seriously. It was, I fed you that question. Yeah. <laughs> um, so hyperbaric therapy is like Viagra. It gives you better erections. Really? Yeah. And the reason why wow. is that it increases vascularization, angiogenesis, new blood vessels forming in areas that have been degenerating over time, especially in, as we get older. And so if you're a radiologist, you make $700,000 a year, like we talked about, and you look at somebody's brain on an MRI scan, if they're over 50 years old, what it's going to show you is that they have something called microvascular ischemic changes in their brain. What happens for most people that have the SAD diet is that the standard American diet is that they're going to have blood vessels in their brain just start degenerating over time, over time. And this is what causes senile dementia, vascular dementia. You're 
you forget what you, where you put your keys or, you know, what you had for breakfast or what, not what your name is. That's more severe, <laughs> but mm-hmm. like the things that you did like earlier, that's kind of like the senile dementia. Yeah, and so, I think I have that at times. <laughs> well, we also, we also have phones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our phones are also the reason, but right. anyway, so what we can do in the chamber and we have studies to prove this now is that we can revascularize, revascularize, is that the right? Revascularize? Anyway, new blood vessels in the brain, new blood vessels around your heart and new blood vessels to help with sexual function. Wow. We have MRIs now that can show this pre-post. The Israelis, gotta love them. They have the largest hyperbaric program in the world. Really? And they're treating over 200 patients a day on their reverse aging program. That's what they call it. They have a 10,000 person waiting list. Do you know why? <laughs> because they show people pictures of dicks before and dicks <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> and they publish a study uh, on erectile so dysfunction. Great. So the guys all sign up for it, right? That's my dick after. I want that dick. Wow. So, <laughs> 10,000 of them. Yeah, so 10,000 people signed up. And not just yeah. that, but also new brain cells. New, the brain is now functioning at a higher capacity. The heart I put myself on like a VO2 max bike. Have you ever tried one of those? Yeah. Like you're like, yeah. You're, yeah. So checking your oxygen carrying capacity. Yeah. And so they do that on these patients before and afterwards. And you see your oxygen carrying capacity around your heart improves as well. So we are basically, I like to think about it this way, Luke. In the chamber, we're doing five things. The first thing we're doing is reversing hypoxia. We're doing it immediately by flooding the system with oxygen. And hypoxia is a low oxygen state? Yes, thank you. Low oxygen state. So we're reversing hypoxia, low oxygen state by flooding the body with oxygen immediately. And then over the long term with the hyperbaric protocol, we're actually recreating blood vessels in areas that may have been injured, degenerated, infected, traumatically altered, and regenerating those blood vessels over the long term. That's the first thing. The second thing we're doing, my fingers here, (laughs) is, is decreasing inflammation. And we're doing it immediately, but also over the long term by actually affecting over 8,000 genes on the DNA itself epigenetically. So what I mean by that is that we're causing expression and suppression of various genes on the DNA that are responsible for inflammation. And so over the long term, we're doing that. The third thing we're doing is we're actually releasing exponential numbers of stem cells from your bone marrow, which is where they're made, along with your brain tissue, where they're also made. And so those stem cells can go anywhere they're needed to help regenerate any tissue that's required. And so it's endogenous. That means these are our own stem cells being mobilized for healing. And so it's, this is why it's such an important healing modality because all those stem cells being released go to the areas that have been injured and help start, start recreating. Like, I like to think of it as like the scaffolding of tissue. Everything that's been injured can be recreated and regenerated using these stem cells, like new bone, new cartilage, new brain cells, new heart cells, new neuron, new neurons, you know, all these different types of cells. That's really interesting. A couple of years ago, I went to Utah Actually, okay. I think they're going to be here, Dr. Harry Adelson and yeah. uh, Dr. Amy Killen. I went to yeah. Utah Doceri Clinics and I had stem cell. I, they took it out of my, my uh, hip bone, bone marrow, yeah. and out of my belly fat uh-huh. and uh, they gave me an IV. Mm-hmm. They did my weenie. They did my scalp, my face, my shoulder, my back, everywhere. Yes, their facial, and- their... Whatever yeah. they call it, something. And yeah. my yeah, yeah, my scalp. Yeah. It was it was amazing. Full I mean, body makeover. That's yeah, right. it was yeah. it was badass. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we're using those and we're mobilizing them just well, in the chamber. What I'm wondering yeah. is, could someone go do a super next level stem cell treatment like yes. that, and then use the oxygen to push them wherever they're supposed to go? Does it so work like that? Think about it this way: you should get hyperbaric therapy before you get stem cells taken 
oh. and then put in those various locations because their yield is going to be exponential. Oh. And so we're using that even in like leukemia and lymphoma and, and actually bone marrow transplants. You put them in a chamber first, it's going to mobilize all these stem cells and then they can be used for therapeutic reasons. Oh, that's yeah. rad. Yeah, wow. pretty sweet. Yeah, Super interesting. Yeah. Okay, so with the hypoxia, what's happening when one does breath work that includes, like most of the practices I've tried to do, include... You know, you do some vigorous in and outs of whatever sort, and mm-hmm. then you do a full exhale and you hold it until you start T-Rexing and twitching around. Mm-hmm. Is that hypoxia that's going on where you're completely out of oxygen? No, that's dependent on carbon dioxide. So oh, when you're doing, oh, okay. it's always this O2, CO2 balance, right? Okay. And so when you're doing a lot of hyperventilation, you're breathing off a lot of CO2. So your CO2 levels, usually about 40 millimeters of mercury, you can breathe it down to like 10 or five if you're doing a lot. And that's when you start shaking because you get really alkalotic. Your body gets very basic. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, like Wim and those other kinds of breathing where you're doing a lot of hyperventilation and you start doing lots of exercise with that, then you can get a lot of oxygen delivery because remember that oxygen dissociation curve that we talked about? You're flooding the system with oxygen because all that oxygen is being released. As opposed to that CO2 being held onto by breath holding, it's going to have the opposite effect. So that's why a lot of these practices are combined, I think. And I don't know if the way Wim Hof explains it is exactly that, but that's how I see it. That's how I see it. Got it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So with breath holding, I don't recommend that in the chamber because we're hyper-oxygenating the system. So when you're doing that, our actually, our stimulus to breathe is not oxygen. It's actually carbon dioxide and maintaining those levels. And so it's important that if you breath hold in the chamber, you're not going to have that same stimulus because you're going to have a lot more O2 floating around. Right. So you may, you can get in trouble. So I've had people do it and I don't want them to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've had, I've heard Tim Ferriss on a podcast talking about it, saying he held, held his breath in the chamber for eight and a half minutes. And I was just like, Oh God, please don't, nobody else, please do that. <laughs> well, yeah. too late. Cause 30 million people just heard him recommend it. I know. Um, and then how does ozone work into the equation? Sure. A, just in a, in a very broad sense, could one be doing a round of hyperbaric treatments and then go home and, or go to another clinic and do ozone simultaneously? And if so, in what order? Or should you just do one at a time for a period of time if you're trying to heal? Yeah, it depends on what condition? you're looking to do. Yeah. So, I mean, they're both oxidative stresses. And, you know, oxidative stress scares people. That's just a lot of oxygen going to the system is going to cause what we call reactive oxygen species or these. Um, basically oxygen that can cause inflammation. But the good thing about our body is it's used to having reactive oxygen species and it can have a reactive antioxidant surge. And that's what happens in the hyperbaric chamber. That's what happens with ozone as well. But if you have too much stress, especially in a system that's already inflamed, it doesn't have a lot of antioxidant capacity. And that's why I'm so keen and and so emphatic about using testing and, and measuring these days to make sure we know what capacity people have before they get into a chamber because you don't want to over-oxidize somebody that doesn't have the capacity to produce their own antioxidant stress or the antioxidant surge in response. I mean, exercise is, is an oxidative stress. Sauna, cold, they're all oxidative stress, but the body, as long as you have the right reserves, can maintain and actually heal itself, come back even stronger. That's the idea. But you have to have those reserves to start off with. For ozone, I, I think of ozone as more of a, an oxidative therapy for infection or inflammation. And it's really good at that. And so we'll often actually combine hyperbaric therapy with ozone 
in some capacities, especially for things like Lyme. Um, and rectal ozone is great for detox, actually. So I'll have people do rectal ozone at the same time they're doing hyperbaric therapy systemically to help with the detoxification part of, of the process. Because what can happen, you know, Herzheimer reactions, which are the, the, the detoxification reaction that can happen from Lyme when it's being killed in the chamber, can be pretty severe. And I find that actually like colon hydrotherapy and ozone uh, up the wazoo, you know, are, are your oh, best that's bets. Cool. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. it's just, I, it, I guess the ozone thing to me, I'm going to do a show about it soon. If I get like, what's the name? Frank Schallenberg? Yeah, right? Frank's For great. Schallenberg? Yeah, yeah, yeah Frank's great. He's kind of like the, the guy or one of the big guys yeah. in, in the ozone he's scene. Nevada, but I, I, believe, I find yeah. it so interesting because, you, you know, it starts out as oxygen and then gets electrocuted basically and comes out as ozone, you know? So it's like they're both oxygen in a way. And it's just, it's so interesting how they work. So yeah. Yeah. Thanks for clearing that up. I'm loving my ozone stuff. It's, it's amazing. I do it in my ears yeah. too. Yeah. And yeah. I just the mental clarity is. Just don't breathe it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, when I pull it out of my ears, I have a fan right there. Okay, so good. yeah. Okay, so good. it kind of blows it away. Cause it does, about, yeah. it does get kind of all in your head, right. you know, and it's, yeah. you know, that's why I mentioned and I would never tell anyone else to do this because it's probably stupid, but I do sometimes put it in my nose, but I'll, I take a huge breath in and hold my breath and shoot some up my nose and then whoosh, breathe it all out so I don't breathe any back in. And it's really helped my sinuses actually. Okay. Yeah, like no, uh, you know, um, infections or anything like okay, that. Okay, yeah. right on. But would, again, I've yeah. never heard of anyone doing that. It was my own invention. And yeah, just be wary. Yeah, I would say to anybody. But I listening. know what it, I know what it, yeah. you're an MD, so you definitely want to take his advice over mine. Uh, yeah, I do not recommend that one, but it seems to be working out for me so it's far. It's like breathing that liquid nitric oxide, you know, uh, liquid uh, nitrogen right, gas right. In, in the cryo chamber, right? Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, I think that's a pretty good dive into the oxygen piece, and I think it's definitely enough information for someone who's got a, yeah, a chronic I, I, issue to start checking out and we know the different types of it and yeah. it's, it seems relatively easy to find in most big cities. I mean, I've traveled a bit and I, I'm able to find, you know, a clinic or two in most places yeah. that I go. Yeah. I would say when anybody's looking for hyperbaric therapy, I think it's important to know why. And then also to try to get some guidance because the protocols can vary. It can be anywhere from like three treatments for an acute issue to like 120 treatments. If it's been a really severe injury that has been ongoing for many, many years. So the protocols change depending on the indication. And the chambers that are most ideal for you will change as well. And so it's important to kind of know that. I think in, for most of your audience, I think it's important that the soft chambers, which are more accessible, are really only used for the things that we discussed. They're, right. they're not used for any of the FDA-improved indications should not be used in a soft chamber. If you have an autoimmune condition, you shouldn't get into a soft chamber. Mm. If you have chemical sensitivities, you probably shouldn't get into a soft chamber because they're made of nylon and polyurethane and they might off gas. (laughs) If you have an ongoing infection like mold or Lyme or staph, I don't recommend it either because it may not be enough oxygen to actually kill the bugs because some of those bugs like a little bit of oxygen, but not a lot. And so for those reasons, I wouldn't get into the chamber. Um, but I mean, there are resources out there. There's, there's my website, there's other websites and, and there's ways to find out this information. But for those kinds of conditions, I wouldn't go in the soft chamber. But if you're looking for you know, neurocognitive optimization, you know, biohacking types of stacking ideas where you're doing for brain health or injury recovery um, or just muscle health recovery from workouts, jet lag, sensory deprivation, meditation, all those things are really good in the soft chamber. Cool. Um, but for other reasons, I would think about your indication and what you're looking to do and maybe a different type of chamber. Nice. Yeah. All right, good. I'm, I'm glad to know that because yeah. I just like 
find out about something, just go for it. So yeah, it's yeah. actually good to go for it. It is a prescription it. too. It requires a prescription. Really? Yeah. In the US, it's a medical prescription to get in the chamber. So uh, not in every country. So it does require a doctor's prescription to get in. Oh, wow. So most clinics do have a physician on staff or somebody that can write it. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then in closing, uh, you know, Dr. Ted was recently on the show. For those of yeah. you listening to this that haven't heard Dr. Ted Achacoso, that episode was mind blowing. Uh, one of my <laughs> favorites of all time out of a couple hundred for sure. And uh, you have been mentored by him yes, and are now uh, working with him in a capacity. Yes. So just give us the brief kind of history of how you came to know sure. Dr. Ted and how that's informed the next level of your practice that I'm about to now participate in. Yeah, that's, that's great. So yeah, Dr. Ted is a man of, what's, there's no great way to, to describe him other than if, if it's there and in the world, Ted knows about it in some way. I mean, he's just a wealth of information. He's been through so many different fields. He's a, a medical doc, but he's also been in software. He's been in tech. He's been in AI. He's done the first uh, descriptions of mathematics of consciousness. I mean, he's done everything. And so when I first met him, though, it was around what he was doing in his practice in Manila called health optimization medicine. And when somebody's as brilliant as Dr. Ted is, my question to him is like, you know, what gets you up in the morning? You know, you know, with a lot of these really, really smart people, they can't even like function in the world because they're so smart. Nobody can really, they can't access any other level of, of engagement. I'm like, you know, what gets you up every day? And he's like, I just want to move the health, move the needle on health just a little bit just a little bit using this practice that I've been doing, focusing on health, not on disease, not focusing on conditions, but focusing on this concept called the holobiont, the idea that we're made of this, we're not just human, we're made of all these metabolites that are coming from the environment outside of us and all these metabolites inside of us. And what I mean by metabolites are all the things that are going on in our cells in real time, our vitamins, our minerals, toxins, plastics, cosmetics, microbiota, um, and so, many, and so many other pieces to this puzzle, but we can, all, we can look at all this data now and we can create a health management plan for people that doesn't have anything to do with disease, but can really focus on the health and cultivating health in, in clients. And so when he first described this to me in 2017, I realized it was what I was missing. It was missing because I had this practice that was focused on hyperbaric therapy, which was a lot of fun. It was a great technology, but it wasn't accessible for everybody. It's a chamber. You have to go to it. It's not that cheap for everybody. It's, it's, it's a technology that's fun. I think it's the ultimate biohack. I mean, I'm biased, but I don't think there's anything better, honest, than oxygen and pressure. But as a foundation, health optimization medicine is truly that foundation because now you can make sure that you have a bank full of money. You have a richness of cellular architecture. You have the right vitamins, minerals, the antioxidant levels you need, the, the amino acids, you're not toxic. You're looking at all that data and now you're cultivating health in people. And then as a result of that, anything else is easier. Getting into the chamber, doing ozone, whatever it is, any infection you might get. And so what Dr. Ted has been able to develop is a practice that tried to focus on what was important and not focus on what's not important, at least immediately, like genomics, for example. We don't do any work with genes because, you know, genes tell you what may happen, but they don't tell you what actually is happening right now. And that's what's happening in the metabolome, metabolomics as we call it. And so we do a panel of testing that looks at uh, metabolomics, looking at, um, and gut health as well, and looking at immune health. 
and eventually hormones as well, and looking at hormone optimization as well. So the idea is you create a plan that's measured, that's personalized to you, and that you can use going forward as a sustainable plan for you, no matter what other diseases or illnesses or conditions you may have along the way. This doesn't change. This is, we just test every six months or so to make sure we're focusing on your health. And then whatever comes up is needed. That's okay too. But we don't see it as taking the place of functional medicine. We don't take it, see it taking the place of conventional medicine at all. It's just a new paradigm. And so that's what really sold me on it. That's and, amazing. So cool. Yeah. And I, and I saw it as sort of like a, a really big umbrella, right? So that anybody can benefit from. And it doesn't matter if you're really, really sick or you're really, really well, there's always ways to optimize, always ways. And so, and this is a way to personalize it to you and say, look, we're trying to optimize you to somebody that's 21, 30 years old, optimal state of being. This is what we do in health optimization medicine, the fountain of youth kind of idea. I think Dr. Ted probably talked about it yeah, on the podcast. Did. Yeah, he did. That's one of the coolest things yeah, yeah. too, because when you, when you go get labs done, whether it's functional medicine or you know, um, allopathic, it's, yeah. it's like, well, what's for me, the average 48-year-old American labs look like? I'm like I don't right. want to be the average 48-year-old. Right, right. And why would I want to be right. the average 22-year-old. So I, even right. just that, I was like, I'm sold. These guys get it. Yeah, like um, a TSH level, for example, right? right? It's a perfect example. Like a thyroid level, if you go to like a regular lab, is a normal level. Normal level is between, it's average from a three-year-old to a 94-year-old. So you don't what? know, what does that even mean, right? So that's right. like, it's a 0.6 to like a four is the average range for that range of people. But do you want to have a 94-year-old's TSH? Hell no. No, right? So what Ted did is he developed his own range. And that's what we do in health optimization medicine. We just, we balance to those levels. And so it sold me almost immediately, honestly. Yeah. I mean, other than Dr. Ted being who he is and all the work that he does outside of health optimization medicine, as you know of, and some of the work he does in consciousness, even in the past and also now, it's it's all about rising, raising the vibratory frequency of the planet. And like, that's real, you know? And I, yeah. and I really feel that. Yeah. And so, and I felt that from him and I know you did too during your podcast. Maybe it was the oxytocin, I don't know. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot happened in that podcast as did this one. Um, so last question is, yeah. and make it quick because we gotta, we're getting called to our, our dinner here. I know, um, yes. Who have been three teachers or teachings that have influenced your work? And you might've just indicated one of them, mm-hmm. but who, are, who is like three people that our listeners could go look up mm-hmm. and learn from as well on any oh, topic? Look up and learn from. Okay. I was thinking yeah. of mentors. Um, so I can think of uh, mentors. I'm thinking, you know, my father being number, number one, just for helping guide me on my early life and still now with just understanding health from a different way. And, uh, you know, Dr. Ted, of course, as being a second mentor in the process of just understanding health from more of a medical perspective, but from a health perspective, it's just like this beautiful marrying of understanding, you know, consciousness and vibratory frequency and, and health in a very holistic way. And then I have hyperbaric medicine sort of on top of it as this beautiful synergizer, accelerator, and healer. Um, some of the work at uh, the Seagal Center for Hyperbaric Medicine has been transformative. And the, the doctor there, his name is Dr. Shai Efrati, E-F-R-A-T-I. He's been fantastic. He's been a mentor as well. Some of the work he's done, he's like, so Israeli, it's fantastic. Like he's just, Scott, you just do this. You just get them in the chamber, they heal. And I go, okay, that sounds good. Shai, thank right. you. you know? So right. he's been a fantastic mentor. I had a great mentor when I was in, in my residency, actually. She was the one that actually helped me kind of decide on a little bit of my career path inside of conventional medicine. And uh, she was fantastic. And, and I've had some really great mentors along the way in medical school, helping with um, 
I guess it wasn't, wasn't, wasn't a mentor question. It was more about people that can... All right. Yeah, no. We can got, find a couple of them and yeah, you know, the other yeah. ones are still valid. Some people yeah. say Jesus. Some people say my grandma, you know. Yeah, yeah. And some people say, oh, here's three books you should go read right now or whatever the case may be. Yeah, yeah. No, I have... Uh, there's some really great books too. I'm reading... Um, there's one I'm reading right now called Stalking the Wild Pendulum, which is actually one that Dr. Ted recommended. Oh, cool. It's a fantastic one. It was, it was actually... Uh, it was actually written in the 1980s. It's about vibratory frequencies and consciousness. Nice. I highly recommend it. Right yeah. up my alley. All yeah. right, we'll put that one in the show notes. Yeah. Sorry, it was uh, a long No, answer. it's great. It's yeah. great. And then um, lastly, where can people find your work, your website? Sure. You do some work with my favorite nootropic ever, Blue Canatine. We just took one before this recording, which is why we sounded so smart. Um, <laughs> Blue is a new smart. But give us yeah. <laughs> give us any websites or links real quick and we'll you know send people yeah, over there we'll to roll them down. visit your so, stuff. Um, from a hyperbaric perspective, um, integrativehbot.com is my website. It also could be on Facebook. It's the same thing. Uh, from health optimization medicine, if you're looking at the nonprofit that Dr. Ted developed, and I'm also the chief operating officer of that nonprofit, it's homehope.org. I have my own clinic in San Francisco that does this work with clients as you and I are doing. I do it remotely as well. Um, it's called home-sf.co. And if you're interested in the the blue pills, the blue canatine pills, blue is the new smart, our Smurf nootropic, uh, the part of the, the for-profit company affiliated with the nonprofit health optimization medicine, that's at uh, troscriptions.com. And uh, the Instagram page has got lots of fun pictures. Yeah, yeah, everyone with blue tongues, including me. Yeah, it's, it's a fun and, one. And yeah. everyone here at the conference in the next 24 hours is going to have blue tongues It was too. a fun one to test, I got to tell you. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. great because it's a, it's a really great nootropic. It's very safe. It's very effective. Yes. And yeah. it's also really great to market because it has a physical attribute that's easy to share. It's yeah. very viral. It's a synergistic low-dose approach with several ingredients together. Yeah, so it's yeah. got... It's got CBD, um, uh, nicotine, caffeine, and methylene blue, the blue? right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's amazing. Yeah, the blue it's is, the best is, stack, is dear yeah. to my heart because it's oxygenation, right? It's helping actually produce more energy at the cellular level, just like hyperbaric therapy does. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cool, so it's, a, cool. it's kind of a cool marrying of concepts So I, I bet there. that might be good for altitude as well. It would be. Yeah. I don't know if it's been used that way. I mean, methylene blue has been used... It's used been as an anti-infective. It's been used as a as a antipsychotic. It's been used in lots of different things over the years. Wow. Yeah, it's actually the first drug that was registered with the FDA. <laughs> that's yeah. crazy. Dude. Back in like the 1870s. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah. All right, man. Yeah. Well, let's get out of here. Let's go get some dinner. Thanks for joining me on the show. And uh, my pleasure. Look forward to hanging out with you more this weekend. Luke, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, brother. All right. Thank you. Thank you for being my co-pilot on yet another episode of the Lifestylist Podcast. It's such an incredible experience to have these mind and heart expanding conversations with some of the most brilliant people on earth. And it's really great to have you as my co-pilot side by side learning along with me. Speaking of being with me, come hang out this weekend at Mercado Sagrado in Malibu, California, November 16th and 17th. I'll be hanging out in my booth with my special guest, Bulletproof Upgrade Labs. On Sunday, on Saturday, we've got Brain Tap. We'll be having some Zen Bunny coffee. I'll have the biocharger there. It's going to be an incredible experience. I'll also be doing a talk about becoming limitless, uh, microdosing psychedelics, nootropics, smart drugs, all of that stuff on Saturday afternoon. To get into that event or any event in which I'm participating, go to lukestory.com forward slash events. This Friday, we've got our Q&A solo show where I answer questions from the private Facebook group. Sunday's a bonus show of my appearance on the Wellness Mama podcast. Then Tuesday, we've got a show on autism and uh, got a lot going on, dropping a lot of episodes on you. I hope you can keep up. I know some of these shows are 
two or three hours and it takes people a week to listen to just one, but uh, the content's there, so I'm putting it out. You know what I'm saying? Why not? Let's thank our sponsors. Because like, truth is, if there were no sponsors, I probably wouldn't have a podcast because I'd have to have a real job. You know what I mean? So we've got uh, raw optics. I wear my raw optics glasses all the time to protect my eyes and brain from the evil blue light that exists in our environment. You can go to rawoptics.com. That's R-A, raw optics, as in sun, get it, raw. Uh, the code there is lifestylist. That's 10%. Just Thrive Probiotics. You can go to thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. Save 15% with the code Luke15. I've been on those probiotics for, oh, I guess it's been three months or so. And it's really helped my digestion and my gut. It's incredible stuff. Um, definitely like one of my top 10 supplements, if you could call it that. Yeah, I guess you could because you're not getting spore-based probiotic out of a, a burger or a salad or anything else. And we've got Four Sigmatic. I mean, these guys make the most incredible and really most convenient medicinal mushroom and herb blends. Uh, one thing I really like from Four Sigmatic are their little instant coffee packs that are also infused with medicinal mushrooms. I use those a lot when I travel and I don't want to go drink like suspect, possibly moldy swag coffee at the local coffee shop. You can go to foursigmatic.com forward slash the lifestylist where you can save 15% off with the code the lifestylist. And just as a heads up reminder, you can find most, if not all of our sponsors at lukestory.com forward slash store. At lukestory.com forward slash store, you will also find every single supplement, biohacking technology, healing device, anything and everything I've ever used in my life that I think has value. Uh, it's linked out uh, in my store. And there's also discounts in many cases. And it's also a great way to support the podcast and the other work that I'm doing. So support the sponsors and uh, you'll be supporting great companies that are doing great things in the world, supporting your own health and also supporting the show. All right. I think that's it. Thank you so much for joining me. If you feel pulled and so inclined, feel free to share this episode with a friend. It's really easy to text or email it to someone or throw it up in your Instagram stories or any way you can help me get the word out. It would benefit the entire planet, I think. Well, almost everyone. I, I mean, maybe not people that are into evil and junk food, but those of us that are wanting to live a better life would definitely benefit from this information. So uh, if, if all you can do to support is share the show, it is greatly appreciated. And even if that's too much, just keep listening. Thanks. Bye. This episode of the Lifestylist Podcast was produced by podcastmasters.net.